When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show. We're going to talk about spring games and spring practices. Four teams today. The plan is to do another four later this week. But this one, we're going to start with Ohio State and Georgia. We're going to talk about them together because they played each other in the college football playoff semifinal. And I think... We have some interesting comparisons there. Then we're going to get into Texas. Then we're going to get into Clemson. But we have to, I think, briefly, Shahan, talk first about something that I inadvertently may have willed into existence. And it is the trade of Bear Alexander from Georgia to USC. These were the mega trades that we proposed on our last episode for college football teams. You can't actually make trades, but in the portal, you can have movement. Bear Alexander, the defensive tackle from Georgia, kind of the guy that people thought would be the next maybe defensive tackle star at Georgia, is in the portal. And all the chatter is that he might be headed to USC and Georgia's not even going to get anything. And then, by the way, I saw on Twitter when you were like, well, you know, Doug's trade, I you know. It wasn't the right kind of quarterback he was making a trade for. You have to go back and listen to it if you want want to totally understand what we're saying. But, Shahan, do you think Bear Alexander listened to that podcast and thought, you know what, let's do this? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Or maybe Lincoln Riley listened to it. Who knows? But uh, at the same time, I mean, I guess guess it's going to be for a player to be named later because Mm. it it doesn't seem like at this point that Malachi Nelson (laughs) is going to leave after – like eight spring practices from USC. So uh, I, I think this would be a big potential atti- addition for USC. The the reason that I saw cited for Bear Alexander to leave was playing time, which, mm. I, I mean, all right, man. I don't know. I All right. Well, you, you literally have been on campus for one year at Georgia. Like, yeah, man, you didn't play much yet. I, I I don't know exactly what you expected, but certainly if you go to USC, pretty good chance to, to play on the defensive line right away. Well, he also may have listened to this podcast when two seasons ago, when Jordan Davis was being mentioned as a Heisman candidate as a Georgia defensive tackle, you were like, well, I don't know. He doesn't play enough snaps. Don't make, don't vote for him for the, they just rotate guys. At Georgia, yeah. right? You kind of got, yeah. and often you have to wait until year three. Jalen Carter in year two was behind Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis and kind of had to wait. And then year three, he pops. Now he's going to be a top 10 pick. So that's what happens when you're at super talented places. It does seem like, though, on one hand, Shahan, when I was willing to trade Bear Alexander to USC, it's like, ah, they're fine. They have a million defensive tackles. They do. Zion Logue, Will Brinson. Nas Stackhouse, they have some dudes there, but this does seem like he was the next big thing, and those are very good, solid players. But maybe Bear Alexander was the guy most likely to be the difference maker at defensive tackle for Georgia this year. So watching that spring game again, 
We're not going to lean too much into results of the spring game, but you can learn some things. I don't know if necessarily that you would expect Georgia without Bear Alexander to have the same kind of constant disruption from defensive tackle that they've had the previous two years. Not like it's a problem, but it might not be an A plus plus position for them if he's not, and he's not because since he's not going to be there. Well, and, and I think that one thing that we need to keep an eye on and a trap that we fall into sometimes is assuming that the next round is going to be the same as the last round, right? We thought that with Alabama receivers, we saw this group of four come through and we're just like, well, they got, you know, eight top 75 recruits coming out of high school and none of those guys really hit. And last year, wide receiver was a weakness at Alabama. I I think that we've seen that happen other places too. And so uh, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on that because the reality is Georgia in 2021 and 2022 had generational level defensive line play like generational a guy who was barely even a contributor for them Trayvon Walker somebody who was just like a nice rotation player went number one in the NFL draft that's not normal and I I think that it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on that uh one I think that Alabama has kind of uh in these last two recruiting classes push their way back into those highly disruptive five-star level defensive linemen. And the other thing too, is that Texas A&M is cleaning up uh, on the defensive line from a recruiting perspective and obviously turning it into five wins, but they're on the roster, right? And so I I am going to be curious to see, you know, look, we have these teams that are, that are maybe, uh, diluting the pool a little bit of defensive line talent, whereas I think between 2018 and 2020, Georgia was able to lock those players down in a big way. There was a player, there's a defensive tackle who was blowing up a spring game on Saturday, and it wasn't at Georgia. We're going to talk about him later in the podcast. This idea, right, that you have maybe back-to-back or multiple great players in a row, and then you can fall into a trap, like you're saying, of thinking, it's always going to be there. I do believe sort of in like the evolution of, man, we had, you know, just doing it at Ohio State, right? Oh, like Chris Olave is really good. And then Garrett Wilson's really good. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba is really good. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. is really, 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 really good. I feel like Marvin Harrison Jr. at Ohio State might be the end of the receiver evolution at Ohio State. How are you going to get better than Marvin Harrison Jr.? Because he's like all those other guys. He's just bigger and has been catching footballs from a Hall of Fame dad since he was four years old and has everything those other guys had but more. So whenever Marvin Harrison Jr. is gone from Ohio State, they'll still have good receivers, but how could they ever get better? Maybe Jalen Carter's the end of the evolution for George. It's like, oh, my God, Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt. But then, honestly, right, for a defensive tackle, how do you get better than a college defensive tackle than Jalen Carter? And so now they're still going to be good, but when that elite peak, peak, dude is a program changer even going from even having just like an a or an a minus or a b plus is a big drop from an a plus 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 so again it's not a problem for georgia but honestly in the end how do you get better than jalen carter at defensive tackle and that's what georgia's gonna have to deal with and we talked about it uh, a couple times ago with uh, with Chase Young, right? We saw this constancy at defensive end with the Bosa's to Chase Young, and that's like six or seven years of incredible production. And then 
2020 comes. They don't have that guy. 2021 comes. They don't have that guy. 2022 comes. Maybe JT Tuomaloau can be that guy, but he wasn't quite that guy yet. And I don't think it's a coincidence. You know, these are, quote unquote, two of the worst seasons that we've seen at Ohio State in a little while uh, because they don't have one of those guys. And uh, and certainly corner would be another place that you'd look at that, right? And so I, I am going to be keeping a very close eye on that. I'm not super worried about Georgia's defensive line play quite as yet. Yeah. I, I think that they're going to no. be just fine. But, uh, but, you know, these things don't last forever. That's the thing that we forget in college football. Other than Alabama, nothing lasts forever. Alabama is like the one thing that for 15 years was just always this, it, you know, at least in the 2000s. Obviously, we can go back to Florida State and Miami and all that sort of stuff. But it's pretty uncommon for a team that is not Alabama to just keep doing the same thing forever. And uh, so uh, it'll be something to keep an eye on. And Alabama quarterback, I think we've talked about this. Another example: How yes, do you get better yes. than Bryce Young? You've <laughs> right. gone from from to from Jalen Hurts to Tua to Mac Jones, now to Bryce Young, and that doesn't mean that Ty Thompson and Jalen Milrow won't be good. But how can you be better than Ty Bryce Simpson. Young? Ty, Ty Thompson Simpson, is the sorry. Oregon one. Is the Oregon one? Name that Ty. Also <laughs> up there on the list of offseason pods with name that governor. Okay. <laughs> Ty Simpson. I apologize. Speaking so, of which, against, by the way, speaking of which, by the way, I did I did do an online quiz just to see how many I could get. I got 27. I got 27. So I got good. more than Yeah, I there and and there were probably five that I was mad at myself for not getting, but the rest of them are just I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I, I did not remember the new governor of Massachusetts. I did not remember that. Uh, we've also had like some turnover. There are just a handful of governors that are just invisible. But you know, I'll, I'll take over half. And you know, honestly, you know what the invisible governors are probably doing? Governing. <laughs> That's why we don't know who the heck they are. Uh, I love that this podcast sent you searching for a name that governor <laughs> online quiz. That makes me so happy. It's that alone is reason enough for this podcast to exist. Okay, let's talk about Georgia and Ohio State. And the reason I want to lump them together is we saw them head to head. And my impression coming out of the spring game was Georgia offense, good. Ohio State defense, good. Opposite sides, more questions, which is not how we think about those teams. But let's start with Georgia quarterback. Carson Beck, fourth-year guy, played with the ones more often than not in the Georgia spring game. Brock Vandegrift was in there. Gunnar Stockton was in there. Kirby Smart said afterward, Gunnar Stockton's basically been running with the twos and threes. It's Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift who've been running with the ones. Carson Beck, more of a pocket guy. Brock Vandegrift can move around a little bit more. Carson Beck stood in there, made throws, and also in this Mike Bobo offense with the departure of Todd Monken, I thought the first-team offense for Georgia kind of looked like the Georgia offense from last year. Same kind of stuff, same kind of routes for Brock Bowers, same kind of use of the backs out of the backfield. And Carson Beck just stood in there and made throws. It was a, It's not going to be exactly the same. It looked like a pretty darn good facsimile, and I just thought there was a lot more snap to the Georgia offense than the Ohio State offense. Now, Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't play very much from the Ohio State spring game. Their, other, their second and third and fourth best receivers were out. Brock Bowers, Lad McConkey, all the dudes were out there. Um, Dominic Lovett, the transfer from Missouri, made a nice play. They were all out there for Georgia. So you, I think it was a more, more of an encapsulation of what the – Dejon Edwards running the ball, of what the real Georgia offense is going to be. But I thought the Georgia offense looked really good, Sean. 
No, I thought they did. And the thing that I'll say about Carson Beck, because, you know, I mean, I, I've kind of wondered if he's going to be more of a game manager. Uh, I felt like he was really dynamic throwing the ball. And you mentioned, obviously, uh, having a lot of similarities to what they were doing last year. I kind of liked what he was doing with the receivers a little bit more, even than than maybe what Stetson Bennett was doing last year. Now, Stetson Bennett was so good at using that middle of the field, and that's going to be something that I think just comes with time for the whichever quarterback takes over. But I, I think that you look, and I mean, so many wide receivers were able to get involved in, in this uh, spring game. You mentioned Donovan Lo- uh, Dominic Lovett. You know, I, I think he's going to be a big-time player for them. Arian Smith was a player who is a speedster, who's been hurt all the time. He scored two touchdowns in this game. I, I really thought that, uh, you know, one of the things that I thought about this Georgia offense coming into the spring was with Stetson Bennett gone, it was going to potentially be more of a traditional passing game. And I think that we saw that Carson Beck is up for the challenge from that perspective. It looked more, uh, I, I don't think the phrase pro style really exists anymore because I think that we're kind of past that, but it looked a little bit more pro style, looked a little bit more pocket centric, um, but not in a bad way, in a way where I think that Carson Beck is is ready for that moment. And uh, and it looked like him and Mike Bobo had a pretty good relationship and, and understood what they wanted from each other. So right now, Carson Beck looks not just like the guy, but looks like he's very much ready to be the guy. Looked very comfortable. And, you know, Kirby Smart said afterwards, obviously, Brock Vandegrift's ability to move, that's more like Stetson Bennett. Carson Beck just isn't going to do that. But Carson Beck's also bigger than Stetson Bennett, and he just looks... He just looked like a big, experienced guy standing in the pocket and making throws. And people, you know, throughout spring at Georgia talking about, well, you know, Mike Bobo might want to do a little bit more with the receivers, as you said, with Darnell Washington going to the NFL, that gigantic tight end. It was weird to see there's somebody, there's a running back at Georgia wearing number zero now instead of Darnell Washington. It was like, what are they doing? Are they handing the ball to a six foot seven, 285 pound tight end? It's like, no, they, that guy has a different number. But Brock Bowers, I thought that they still, is it lost, lost and lucky as a second year tight end? They threw the ball a little bit to him. Oscar Delp is another tight end. They're still going to throw the ball to tight ends. They might not be in 12 personnel as much as they were when they had Bowers and Washington. But just the way they move, I feel like you can watch the Georgia. You could you could have 20 football teams show up in a parking lot with generic jerseys and say, run three plays of your offense. And I feel like after three plays, you'd be able to say, that's Georgia. Just the way they move their tight ends and their backs horizontally, the motion they use, the flip, flipping it to guys on jet sweeps. And I still felt like you could look at it and say, that's Georgia. And sure. that's what Mike Bobo can do. Keep the best of what Todd Monken did, working a little bit more of this receiver stuff. Again, love it. Feels like he's going to be really impactful for them. Uh, the other guy, the Mississippi State guy, Ra Ra, he sat out. Yeah. Kirby, yeah. Kirby said he wasn't quite ready for stuff. So, but if one of those transfers hits, it's not going anywhere. It's it. Kendall Milton was out for the spring at running back, but Dejon Edwards is in there. Just they're going to keep cycling the backs through. I. It just felt like that the that's a quarterback competition, right? Bama's spring game is coming up on Saturday, but the three big quarterback quarterback competitions of spring: Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. Carson Beck looked more in rhythm, comfortable made the offense seem like the same old, same old, to a greater extent than I thought Kyle McCord did at Ohio State. Shahan, do you agree with that? No, I I definitely agree with that. I think that Georgia 
just looked like with Carson Beck in the lineup that they knew exactly what they wanted to do. They were, they were a lot more decisive. I, I think that, you know, again, I, I'm glad that you mentioned kind of the Mike Bobo thing. It does feel like, uh, you know, one of my concerns about Georgia was going to be, you know, has Mike Bobo learned how to leverage the stuff that Todd Monken did? Did he learn from Todd Monken being in that room last year working as an analyst? And it feels like he did. You know, it feels like uh, like he came in with a good game plan. It feels like the offense is still kind of structured the same way. And like you said, a lot of players not playing for Ohio State in their spring game. That's certainly a factor. But I mean, Comicord looked like a guy who hasn't played very much. You know, that that's fundamentally what he looks like. And and certainly, you know, the reviews that we've heard of Carson Beck from the spring have been that it's been inconsistent, that he'll have days like this where it's awesome. And he'll have some days that aren't quite this good. And certainly, you know, maybe we just caught Kyle McCord on one of his less good days. You know, that's definitely part of the uh, the, the growth process for a quarterback. But no, I would agree. I, I think that I said it all of last year. I felt like Georgia was an offensive team with a really good defense. And, uh, you know, I think it'll probably be a little bit more balanced this year, but I think that this offense has a chance to be really good. Let's get into the Ohio State offense, but I want to make one comparison very quickly because both teams are Georgia and Ohio State are both replacing their left tackles. Paris Johnson from Ohio State will be a first round pick. Broderick Jones from from Georgia will be a first round pick. And I just recruiting matters. Everybody knows that (laughs) in the class of. 2022, Ohio State and Georgia were both after Ernest Green, who is a left tackle from uh, St. John Bosco in California that has sent a lot of great players on. Ohio State has a couple guys from St. John Bosco. Wyatt Davis from Ohio State was an All-American offensive lineman a couple years ago, was from from St. John Bosco. That was Ohio Ohio State's pitch to Ernest Green. It's like, hey, Wyatt Davis came here and did it. You come here and did it. Do, do the same thing. Ernest Green visited Georgia, Alabama, Texas, and Ohio State on his official visits. And Georgia got him. He's coming from the other side of the country. You know, once you're on a plane, you're on a plane. It wasn't like Georgia had a geographic advantage. He's the number 45 overall player in the class of 2022. And now, as Georgia and Ohio State go about trying to replace their left tackles, both of them have fourth-year players who, as recruits, were ranked in the 500s. At Ohio State, that player is the presumed starter at left tackle. At Georgia, that player is in a battle with Ernest Green, who is a second-year player who was the number 45 overall recruit in the country. It is a little tiny window. If Ohio State wins the battle for Ernest Green, he's at Ohio State in a battle, but, the, but probably going to win it. And George is saying, okay, we might have to go with this fourth-year guy who was a recruit in the 500. It's just an example, Shahad. Like, Georgia has it going. And to me, coming out of the spring, one of the, the, the biggest thing for Ohio State is their tackle situation, both tackles offensively. And that Ernest Green thing just caught my eye because, like, man, Georgia is just – and Ohio State recruits great. Georgia is just a recruiting monster right now. And what they did in 2022 is going to show up on the field right now. No, and, and this is what it's all about, right? Because, for example, the 500 recruit could beat out Ernest Green, but he has to do it, right? He has yes. to come out and do it. And that's that's what recruiting ultimately can do for you. So that's an example. So let's go to the Ohio State quarterback situation. Kyle McCord plays. Devin Brown hits his finger on a helmet in the last third of uh, of spring practice, he gets, it's like practice ten or eleven. 
hurts his pinky, has a little surgery on his pinky, can't play in the spring game. So what you thought was going to be a battle, the way you saw Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton at Georgia. At Ohio State, you just saw Kyle McCord, and then you saw Tristan Jebbia, who's the third-string guy, who's a partial coach, is a former starter at Oregon State. He's not really in the battle. So I thought Kyle McCord made some fine plays. Marvin Harrison Jr. only played two series. He had three catches for 62 yards in the two series. I think you can see the difference of the Ohio State offense with Marvin Harrison Jr. and without Marvin Harrison Jr. I thought a lot of guys weren't getting open at other times. Kyle McCord was taking taking some checkdowns. I don't think the quarterback battle is over there. To me, I think Georgia's over. It's going to be Carson Beck. It would be flabbergasting if Carson Beck is not the starter for Georgia. I don't feel the same way about Kyle McCord. I think Devin Brown, and he'll be back in a month from the pinky thing, and it won't affect his offseason. He'll be ready in August. I think he still takes his shot because I didn't think Kyle McCord slammed the door, looked like definitely the dude in quite the same way that Carson Beck did. No, and that was a big question that I had coming into this weekend. It felt like if Kyle McCord had a Carson Beck-like game, then it could be over, right? I mean, he's the upperclassman, too. He's he's somebody who obviously has been on campus a few years. This was kind of his moment to, to show it, and it, it didn't really happen. You know, you, I think that, again, obviously you have to contextualize that, that Ohio State was missing a couple of really good receivers, but, you know, I mean, you look at the box score. Dallin Hayden led the team in receptions, right? I mean, he had five receptions. They they, they were taking a lot of checkdowns. Obviously, uh, you know, nobody other than uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Noah Rogers finished with more than 60 yards receiving. And you know, part of it is that they're rotating a lot of guys in, of course. But, I, I mean, obviously, you're not going to replace C.J. Stroud and have it look exactly the same. But it wasn't the the most exciting it wasn't the most explosive and i think that those are parts of of the game that ohio state needs to have to to do business the way that they want to do things so the thing that i thought was maybe potentially the positive for ohio state is that when you get so marvin harrison jr only played two series because they just took him out because they didn't want to risk anything but Emeka buka who's their number two receiver and julian fleming who's their number three receiver they've both been out all of spring and then xavier johnson a former walk-on who has played well for them is basically their number four receiver. He got hurt during spring. So after the first two series, none of your four top receivers were in there. So they'll have those guys in September. Those guys will be playing and that will change the Ohio state offense. But then I did think the Ohio state defense played well, especially the secondary. And you can say, well, they didn't have to cover Marvin Harrison jr. And Mecca Buka and Julian Fleming. And, but my answer to that is, well, most of the time, in their games, they won't be having to cover guys like that because very few teams have receiving cores. Nobody does. Ohio State has the best receiving group in the country when they're all healthy. So I think if you saw an Ohio State passing game that did not pop, I thought the Texas passing game popped. The four teams we're talking about in this game. We'll get to Clemson. Cade Klubnick was running around a little bit, but I thought Texas and Georgia looked kind of significantly better throwing the ball than Ohio State did. But those Ohio State receivers will be back. But I also thought the improvement from the Ohio State secondary was obvious and necessary. And I think they have some corners they believe in. They have some safeties they believe in. And then on the other side of it, you know, Georgia's got some moving parts on their defense. So I don't know. It's We don't – this is spring football. You're playing against yourself. If one thing's good, one thing's bad. But I did think, and I think Ryan Day felt, there was real improvement from the Ohio State secondary this spring. 
And I think that's more vital to Ohio State than, oh, no, are they going to be able to throw the ball or not? I think Kyle McCord, the, the quarterback play has to be better than it was. But I think some portion of it was how good those those DBs played for the Buckeyes. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, obviously – a lot of the top guys out, like you mentioned, but nobody's going to feel bad for you for only having to cover Carnell Tate and Noah Rogers. These are two really, really freaking good players. Uh, and yeah, I, I agree. I thought that they looked uh, like they've grown up a lot. I, I thought that the secondary did look really good. And, you know, I, I will say, right. I mean, obviously I covered Jim Knowles during his time at Oklahoma state. The most surprising thing about that Michigan game last year is that secondary is kind of Jim Knowles thing. That's kind of how he dominates games. He has that that 5DB shell, and it usually works really well. And obviously, you know, again, we've, we've talked ad nauseum about uh, about the, the mental hangups that happened in that Michigan game. But, uh, but I agree. I thought that they looked like they've continued to grow up. Obviously, you know, you see some of these underclassmen start to really push their way into the lineup and get a lot of snaps and get a lot of tackles. I, I thought that that was huge for Ohio State. Um, I've mentioned too, you know, year one under Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State wasn't all that great. It really took year two, year three, year four. And obviously at Ohio State, you have different types of talent than what you have at Oklahoma State. But I, I do think that this is going to be a unit that only continues to get better as uh, as Jim Knowles stays on campus and as players start to understand and know his defense. Uh, and, and I think that one of the great things too is that we started to see some of these really high-end recruits start to understand the defense I think a little better last year you know obviously there were a lot of upperclassmen who maybe were were thrust into these roles I think that the talent is starting to come through which is I I think what Ohio State ultimately needs there's nobody that Ohio State lost off its defense that they're gonna miss frankly and that's doesn't mean Ronnie Hickman or Cam Brown or you know some of these other guys weren't good Good players players, but they basically they basically are back intact. And the guy like Sonny Styles, who yep. was in last year as an early enrolled freshman, you know, reclassified, should have been a senior in high school last year, was a freshman who played 20 snaps against Georgia in sort of specialized safety role. He he made some plays on the ball. CJ Hicks at linebacker. They're both five-star guys who are, who are now second-year guys. Like in evaluating them, I'm constantly making Georgia comparisons. Like what would Georgia do sure. with these guys? Georgia, Georgia would find a way to play them. You know, and so like I think Ohio State has to get guys like that on the field. Ohio State's talked a lot all spring about last year was maybe so much teaching with the defense, almost too much teaching that they forgot to compete. And then they're also conking their heads together and getting confused in coverage sometimes. So don't blow coverages and then just get after it. Break on balls more aggressively. Like compete, compete, compete. And they've they talked about that all spring. I, I think they got everything. Ohio, Ohio State got everything done defensively, I think it wanted to do. Sure. Offensively, the tackles are a real issue. And I think Ohio State's going to have to keep an eye on the portal to see if a Bear Alexander of the offensive line becomes available because I think they need to be on that. They just are a recruit or two short in that room from the standard. And the result is they're maybe asking some guys who are not quite ready or not, or maybe too young to do it. They're asking them to do it because they don't have Ernest Green. Tristan Lee is probably going to be the starting left tackle at Clemson. That's a guy that Ohio State was in on. They had, were in on a lot of guys and, you know, two and three recruiting cycles ago at offensive tackle that they didn't get. And it's coming home to roost. So tackle remains an issue for Ohio State. And the quarterback, the quarterback play just has to pop. A little bit more. That's we just have to be honest about that, especially when you compared it. You 
You could just see that Carson Beck had more experience. You could watch Texas and see, like, well, that's Quinn Ewers had a whole year of starting. Kyle McCord's not there yet. Doesn't mean he's not going to get there, but he's not there right now. Defensively for Georgia. So we want to go back now to make that comparison because I thought Ohio State had a good defensive spring. Tough for Georgia. Michael Williams was out for spring. Smile Mondin got hurt, was in a boot on Saturday, did not play on Saturday coming into that game. They do have some guys to replace in the secondary, but also, you know, they're out there throwing a ball at Malachi Starks and he has perfect coverage. And it's like, okay, well, that guy's going to be great. He was great last year. He's great again. They're experimenting. Jamon Bullard was like their nickel cover guy. They're putting him at some real safety reps to try to get some more safety depth there. We're not going to come on here and be like, I don't know, the Georgia the Georgia defense. <laughs> I don't know. But they did play a lot of young guys last year, so there should be some guys ready to elevate. But I don't know that anybody, even at Georgia, would be like, oh, man, the defense was awesome on Saturday because they were missing some key guys, and they also just have had a, a bunch of great players. You know, They had the huge exodus two years ago, but now they still have Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, um, Chris Smith. Keely Ringo, like they they lost another round of really good players, Shahan. So I don't know. What level do we assume the Georgia defense is going to be at? Yeah, I, I personally, you know, I think they're going to be fine. Uh, I loved seeing Tyke Smith out there. You know, he's somebody who I got to cover a bit at West Virginia. He, I think, had an interception uh, in that game. Looked really, really good. I actually, uh, you know... I really like what they've got at safety. I think that safety is pretty much all looked, locked up for them. It's going to be cornerback that I think is going to be the big issue for them, uh, starting alongside, uh, oh my gosh, what's Kamari? Uh, Kamari Lassiter. Kamari Lassiter, there we go. Uh, who, who's locked up one of the corner spots. You know, it's going to be that other one that, uh, that I think it's going to be a question. And look, they rotate so much, and they rotated so much last year that so many players on their roster have experience. This is not a, a spring necessarily for guys needing to come in and learn the defense. They kind of know what they have in some ways on the defensive side of the ball because of how much uh, underclassmen they played the past couple of years. So I'm not especially worried about it. I, I think certainly I want to see some of these guys develop and continue to get better, especially uh, in that front seven. But you know, I, I think that if there's one bet that I think that we have to to assume at this point, it's that Georgia's defense is going to continue to to be really good. So I'm not going to overthink it at this point. I think that the spring game was much more about trying to to get the the offense comfortable. And by the way, sometimes with this stuff, like when you play a spring game, when you do spring practices, the way that you manage how almost aggressive each unit is can be really important. Because, for example, you know, I, I remember covering a team down here and, uh, and and one of the rumors around town was basically that the entire practice was geared around maximizing the defense and the offense was just screwed. You, you never got a chance to actually develop. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily what happened in the Georgia spring game, but I do think that they probably did want the offense to have some real opportunities to not just get shut down by one of the greatest defenses that we've ever seen in college football. And they probably call the game in such a way to, to make that happen as well to where, you know, they're not trying to maximize everything that they have right at this minute, because you do ultimately want your quarterback to develop. And we talked about it here before. I think it's six or seven of their top 10 guys in snaps last year were first or second year players. So Jamin Dumas Johnson and Michael Williams and Smile Mondin and Kamari Lassiter and Malachi Starks. They're just a lot of guys who are going to be 
super valuable to this defense that got a lot of experience last year. I do think if you are not destroying people up front every single snap, then it just puts more pressure on your back end. And so there have been times in the last two years when it's like, okay, well, I don't even know what an offense is supposed to do. Um, but then we saw when needed, George's offense won won the game for him last year against Ohio State. When Ohio State was moving the ball, Stetson Bennett said, okay, we're going to move the ball even better. So for Carson Beck and and some of the options at receiver, and then Brock Bowers is still Brock Bowers, and the back, the, there's still depth in the backfield, and it feels like they have some answers to replace their guys up front. I, I, I think in the end, coming away with good feelings about the Georgia offense is where Georgia wants to be. And as much as Ohio State needs to get quarterback figured out, coming away with good feelings about the Ohio State defense, I think is where Ohio State wants to be. So I think both those teams probably got their number one priorities figured out. And then the Ohio State quarterback battle, I just think is going to continue at least a little bit into August because I want to see Devin Brown. I want to see Devin Brown in the same circumstances. We did get to see some other scrimmages. During practice, Ohio State was actually pretty good letting the media in. And when you saw them, Kyle McCord more often than not looked a little better than Devin Brown. It wasn't like Devin Brown was out playing out playing him, but I just I want to see a little bit more, whereas I think Carson Beck's the guy. All right, we come back. Shahan's favorite topic. Can Texas be? Well, we're not gonna say a playoff team. We'll just say, yeah, their spring game. How was it? We'll do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. All right, Shahan, Texas has too many quarterbacks. When Arch Manning is the third best quarterback in your spring game, you're in a pretty good spot. Quinn Ewers, Steve Sarkeesian said he locked it up. He's the starter, no doubt about it. Malik Murphy, you can come be on my roster any day. That guy showed some stuff, and then Arch Manning has a third-string guy. What do we think of the uh, Texas quarterback situation specifically coming out of spring? Look, I tried to tell everybody all offseason that Arch Manning was not ready to be a serious player yet. He was not seriously in contention for the starting job. And Quinn Ewers certainly put that to rest with his performance this spring. Malik Murphy, man, it's really good. I th- I get it. You put that Manning name uh, you know, on your roster and, and it's all anybody can talk about. But Malik Murphy outplayed the hell out of Arch Manning as well. I mean, he looked really good. Honestly, I was in some ways more impressed with Malik Murphy's deep ball throwing than I was even Quinn Ewers. Like, he has a chance, I think, to be a special player. And to be quite honest, it probably will not be at the University of Texas. But uh, no, I, I thought that their quarterback situation looked really good. Ewers, you definitely saw... Some of the things that that uh, Steve Sarkeesian talked about, where he looked a little bit more mature, he looked a little bit more poised. I, I thought that he did look more like a, obviously, technically he's a third-year player, but he looked more like a second-year starter, I think, in this spring game in a lot of ways. Uh, I think that one of the biggest things I'm going to be keeping an eye on with Quinn Ewer specifically is his footwork, because he got a little lazy, I felt, at times, passing the ball last year. He looked locked in in this spring game. You know, he he had good technique, he had good form, and I've I've said it repeatedly. Quinn Ewers has probably as much arm talent as anybody as I've ever watched live in my life. Like he is an incredible incredible passer. And and I thought that you saw flashes of that in the spring game. And uh, and I felt like they had some receivers step up to make that happen too. So Quinn Ewers was given some quotes after the spring game. I think kind of like the you know what? I'm I'm eating right now. 
you know, those kind of quotes. There's, it reached the point, every college football player reaches the point in his career where he stops eating chicken fingers for every meal. And then it's like, oh, what goes in affects what my body can then do. It's taken me 50 years to learn that. But that idea, like I just, it's the thing that guys say when it's like, okay, like I think, I think maybe they're ready for this. By the way, so Quinn, you were 16 of 23, 195 and a touchdown. Malik Murphy, 9 of 13, 165. Malik Murphy is 6'5", 235. I am putting Malik Murphy on Will Levis' watch. Because as you said... Please, can, can we do better than that? Can we do Joe Burrow watch? Like, can we not do... Will Levis <laughs> Will is Le- going to be like the eighth pick of the draft. Yeah, but but the difference is Malik Murphy might be good. No, well, I mean... I'm just, <laughs> so here's the thing. <laughs> like, he stands back there... And he's 6'5", 235, and so it's like, okay, I'll take that. And then he throws it, and it's like, okay, I'll take that. And then he's got a little juice to him, and it's like, okay, I'll take that. I, I don't know where it's going to be. I don't, <laughs> how, like, how can, how can Arch Manning not be the starting quarterback at Texas in 2024? Malik Murphy's going to take somebody to the playoff in 2024. In the 12-team playoff, I, I, like, get on board for this guy. I don't – it is – it's great. Like, it's like, congratulations to see, like, how happy is Sark right now? Steve Sarkeesian must be, I mean, he's bathing in quarterbacks. It's his dream. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, right? You've got the top-rated quarterback recruit since Vince Young. You've got the first number one overall recruit to sign with Texas since Vince Young. And, like, the guy that you're ignoring could be really, maybe even better than those guys? Who knows? Could be Vince Young. Yeah, like, <laughs> it, it is funny though because one thing I'm certainly going to be keeping an eye on because, like you said, when Arch Manning comes to campus, like you don't get to choose, you don't get to right. choose whether or not he plays or not. Like he's going to play, he he is going to be the starter in 2024, and uh, they better. I mean, because because look, I. It was Arch Manning. He's a true freshman. He moved up from playing tiny high school ball against five, seven kids to now he's playing, you know, major power five college football. It's a transition. That's totally fine. Obviously not the best first outing. I mean, like you said, five for 13, a lot of those five were checkdowns. Uh, I thought he did a good job of getting rid of the ball whenever he, uh, whenever he was pressured, but like he is. No, we're close to these two guys right now. Like, you understand now why people are like, he's going to redshirt because he is not ready. So, Quinn Ewers looks ready. Lake Murphy looks ready. I mean, Lane Kiffin should just go live in Austin for a year or whatever. <laughs> oh, Whoever... Another transfer quarterback coming in for, for Lane Kiffin. <laughs> I, 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 like, line up. I'm telling you, man. Maybe Mike Norvell, like, oh, we're going to, or, or Ooh, Brian Kelly, dope. or anybody who thinks, like, hey, I'm on the last year of my dude right now, who's our quarterback next year, go get in line in Texas. Oregon. Oregon. Uh, get, go Oregon. replace Bo Nix with Malik Dan Lanning. Just, just figure it out. Washington, like figure it out. Ooh, so that would be fun. Oh my gosh, I, I'm going to dreamcast Malik Murphy to all sorts of schools, man, and yeah. it's going to be great. He's going to he, his nil. Holy guacamole! <laughs> I, I will say too. I will say too. Um, you know, so Malik Murphy actually, people might forget because because like he in between the Ewers thing and the Arch thing, like I'm sure he kind of got ignored nationally in terms of his recruitment. When he committed, it was actually uh, it, it was actually 
right after Sark got there. He was kind of identified as Sark's guy in some ways. And he was rated like a top 35 player coming out at the time when he committed. And then he kind of fell down because he dealt with some injuries and wasn't able to do the whole camp circuit the same way. But talent has never been the question with Malik Murphy. Health is going to be a big concern with him. He missed parts of last year with injuries. He missed the beginning of the spring with injuries. But if you get healthy Malik Murphy, I mean, the talent is, there is no question. And the reason I said Will Levis is it's a guy who started at a at a major program, transfers. Will Levis was at Penn State, transfers to, to Kentucky, explodes, is like a big physical guy and explodes. So this is if he transfers from Texas, he's a big physical guy. He goes somewhere and explodes. But Shahan is offended by comparing someone to a guy who might be the fourth pick in the draft. So, you know. Have you watched him play? It's not good. It's the scouts. It's the scouts. Kentucky it's not me. Don't blame upgraded me. upgraded their quarterback position by adding Devin Leary instead. It's not my fault. I'm not here. Please do not be like, oh, that Doug. He's a, Douglas loves Will Levis. He puts mayonnaise in his coffee, too. I mean, no, I'm not. That's not my guy. So the banana with the peel. Can you believe that? So, hey, it's crazy. So, also, replacing Bijan Robinson at Texas. No yeah. easy feat. Right? People are excited that it's Jadon Blue and Savion Red, which makes me wish that Major Applewhite was still the quarterback at Texas because the NIL opportunities for that. Or Jason White, well, if he had transferred to Texas, right? Is there? Are there any? Can you get a quarterback named? Zamir White, some more eligibility. Do you think that yeah. we can get him down in Austin? Then you have the Red, White, Just and Blue. Just for NIL. Would be great. Just for NIL. But Jaden Blue had a great run. Like you're not, you can't be Bijan Robinson, but run game enough. Like, where do you think the run game is for Texas right now? Can it be good enough? Yeah, it's going to be a good question. I think that they have enough guys back there that they should be okay. Uh, like you said, those two guys, I think, stepped up in a big way. And by the way, CJ Baxter, a true freshman, was the number one running back recruit in the country coming out this year. They should have the talent there. The thing is, is just that Bijan Robinson was such a a unique force. I mean, you look at Texas last year. Everybody talked about the passing game and the quarterbacks and Sark drawing it up. They basically were just like, save us, Bijan. And they won three games because they just asked Bijan to save them. <laughs> so, like, I, I think it is going to be good enough if the passing offense is good. If the passing offense is what it was last year, which was very inconsistent, I'm going to have some questions. But certainly you don't expect <laughs> to replace Bijan Robinson with somebody who's going to be able to do anything like that. And by the way, Roshan Johnson already getting day two conversation in the NFL draft uh, circles because of what he does as a complete back, obviously as a pass blocker, as somebody who is still really good running the, the ball as well. So that's a lot to lose. And yeah. uh, I, I think that I think that they have the talent there to do it, but we kind of won't know until we honestly see what this passing game is going to be, too. Johnson has the number two behind Bijan Robinson in the run yes, game last yes. year for Texas. So, so you talk about Texas receivers all the time. Xavier Worthy back after a 760 yard receiving season. Jordan Whittington back after a 652 yard receiving season. Ad Mitchell. Added from Georgia, had a one-handed touchdown catch in the spring game, and then Jontae Cook as a true freshman. It sounds like people are psyched about this group 
I've seen people saying like, hey, this, you know, outside of Ohio State, this might be as good of a receiving core as there is in the country. When you add, we talked about Bama, right, adding the Georgia transfer last year, right? And so at, at receiver, and it's like, well, then that guy wound up being Alabama's leading receiver. And like, how good were they? I don't think anybody's, A.D. Mitchell does not have to leave Georgia and come to Texas and be Texas's best receiver. But if he's part of a mix here where you have two established guys, but you add Mitchell, you add a true freshman, how good can this receiving core be? It seemed like they certainly, there were some splash plays in the spring game. No, I I think that depth-wise, they're in a much better place than they were last year. Like you said, it it was kind of those two guys with Worthy and Whittington and a pretty big gap after that. Uh, They added a bunch of transfers last year who never did anything. Jaleel Billingsley and uh, Ajayi Hall from Alabama basically didn't play for Texas last year. Uh, It does help that Jatavian Sanders at tight end is back, and I think that he he has a chance to be really good. He has a chance to, like, be a first-round tight end, uh, you know, potentially if things go right for them. My big question for Texas is going to be who kind of steps up as that guy? And, you know, which is, like, a very reductive conversation, but, like, Xavier Worthy's shown flashes of it in the past, but he, he is just very inconsistent. And so I'd love to see Jonte Cook, for example, step up and be that guy. I think that talent-wise, he has the potential to be an All-American. A.D. Mitchell, like you said, incredible catch in that game. You've seen some great moments of route running from him. I, I'd like to see somebody who's going to step up and be a thousand yard receiver because they didn't have that last year, right? They had a 600 and a 700 yard receiver. I, I think that you want somebody who can be a reliable option. That's my big question about Texas from a depth perspective. If they're able to do that, let's say that Xavier Worthy steps up and puts together an 1100 yard year, then yes, I think that this could be one of the best receiving rooms in the country, but I need to see that guy step up holds elsewhere that'll hold them back on the offensive line or on the defense or is this enough of a complete team that if this is a if this is a little bit of a turbocharged passing game if steve sarkeesian has the guys to do what he wants to do can texas be the best team in the big 12 did did this this spring look like a team that can be that i mean i've said it multiple times right i feel like if texas does not win the big 12 this year it should be considered a failure Uh, they should win the big 12 this year with what they have i I think that you look at their depth of talents at wide receiver you should feel pretty good about that you look at how quinn ewers has developed uh offensive line you know they were very young last year they played three freshmen for a good uh percentage of the year uh now all of a sudden you know they're gonna have a few more upperclassmen in that lineup as well on the, on the defensive backside of things, you know, they added Jalen Catalan who didn't play in the spring game, and he's somebody who I think is going to be an NFL draft pick. So I, I feel like they've got it all. Uh, they, they added Trill Carter, a defensive lineman from Minnesota as well, in the transfer portal just yesterday. It feels like they've filled their holes. It feels like roster-wise, this should be a team that's ready to go, obviously. Now they have to go out and do it. Congratulations, Texas. You've won the approval of Shahan J. Haraja. But I you know you can because they're gonna things. find a way to not win the Big Twelve, and I can't wait to see how it is. Why, Why are you so negative? I th- th- there were some I think they should feel they probably feel good coming out of spring. They right? Should. Like which should. which is not which is not the end all be all, but it's better than not feeling good coming out of spring. So I think <laughs> it feels like Texas right. is is where they need to be. All right, we come back, we'll do Clemson. How did their spring game and their spring practice look? We'll do it next on the College Football Survivor Show.
So there were a bunch of spring games this past Saturday. We wanted to hit four of the big ones right off the bat here on this show. The plans for the second show this week will be Tennessee, Penn State, USC, and Florida State, who all also just had their spring games this past Saturday. Among the teams that are going to have their game this coming Saturday, uh, Alabama, Oregon, Washington, uh, Iowa, I think. I mean, we got to talk Iowa, right, when you're talking national title contenders. So we'll get into a lot of those teams next week. But for now, we want to finish up with Clemson. And it's always fun. I think Dabo usually does this, right? It's like Dabo's on the mic during the broadcast for the entire Clemson spring game. And it's actually a pretty fun way to do it. And obviously, all all eyes are on Cade Klubnik in that game, the guy who took over in the ACC championship game last year for DJ Uyunglele. Huge recruited quarterback, now entering year two. And I just thought there have been, they're both Texas quarterbacks, right? Cade Klubnik and Quinn Ewers. We just talked about Quinn Ewers. But I just thought in the spring game, in that direct head to head comparison, if you said which guy has been a full year starter and which guy has been like a one and a half game starter, I thought you could tell on Saturday. And which is not a criticism, but it's a reality because experienced quarterback play can go a long way. Dabo was excited whenever Cade Klubnik got out of the pocket and talked about a lot of the off platform things he can do. And that guy can run, that guy can scoot, but it wasn't a masterful stand in the pocket passing performance yet from a guy who is sort of the next Quinn yours. Yeah. I mean, guys, let's remember in 2020, I got to watch Cade Klubnik versus Quinn Ewers for the Texas six, a state championship. Like we do it different down here, man. It's, it's pretty special, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I think that, I think that uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, Cade Klubnik, this was my thing all of last year. I, I think that there maybe could have been a perfect needle that Dabo could have threaded to, to start Cade at exactly the right time and maybe save the season and have a chance at the playoff. But I mean, Cade is still a work in progress. You see the moments, you see the throws. He can, he can make every throw. You see this sort of like a second nature type of, uh, of scrambling ability, the second nature type of playmaking ability. But I think he's still trying to figure out some of the basics. You, you see those, those issues at times uh, when he's going through things. Two interceptions in this game. I, I, I think that, you know, certainly he's somebody who's trying to make plays and, and the defense knows what he's going to do. They've, they've played against him all spring. But no, I think that you're right. You know, Kate Klubnik is a work in progress. And, and I think that when you compare him to Quinn Ewers, who before Ewers reclassified, they were the same class. I mean, you see, like you said, a guy who has been through a year of of work at quarterback. You see a guy who obviously spent a year before that learning in college football. And, and I agree. It was just looked like a more mature player at this point. So we know how good Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are going to be as a running back combo at Michigan. Will Shipley for Clemson, who's an established really good number one running back, didn't play in the spring game, some knee tendonitis. Dabo said afterward that he practiced for most of spring, had some knee stuff kind of pop up late in spring the last week or so. Doesn't seem like a huge deal. But I've talked about Phil Moffa on here before. Man, if 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 A-Chain at Texas A&M was kind of like my guy, I can't get enough of that guy. Phil Moffa is a completely different guy. He's just a big bruiser of a back, 230, 6'1", 230. I'll tell you what, man. Give me a little Will Shipley, Phil Moffa. I don't even know how much Cade Klubnik has to do. Like, if if this is a version, I was trying to think, like, Michigan was sort of 
Georgia light, like the first time they played Georgia, that it's, hey, you know, it's a defense first team that maybe tries to run the ball. And now we saw Michigan sort of try to evolve past that with a little more dynamic passing game with J.J. McCarthy. But now I'm kind of thinking maybe Clemson can kind of be what Georgia – excuse me, no. Clemson could be what Michigan has been the past two <laughs> years. So it's like now you're two, step removed, two steps removed from Georgia. But if you're going to tell me that Clemson is going to be good defensively and going to run the ball with a two-headed running attack and then just make sure their quarterback doesn't screw it up – that might get to the ACC championship game, man. I love Will Shipley, Phil Maffa. Man, go watch this guy run. They're they're working it on the offensive line. I don't think we've got the full Garrett Riley experience, right, no, on, on no, Saturday no. in a spring game as a new offensive coordinator. You don't really have a full sense of what they're going to do. But I think they might be able to pound the rock, man. No, no, I, I agree. I think that's... You know, that's been a real issue for them since Travis Etienne left, uh, just, just finding a consistent run game. Will Shipley's been good for them, but it's kind of just been him in some ways. We especially saw that, I think, when DJ was in the lineup. Uh, I think things improved a little bit when Cade Klubnik was able to embrace his running a little bit more at times last year. And that's something that I'm going to be keeping an eye on, too, is, you know, obviously in a spring game, you're not going to see Kate Klubnik run very much. I think that he's going to be a little bit more of a runner whenever he does actually start for Clemson. Um, no, but but I agree. And you mentioned that'll get you to the ACC championship game. Obviously, even with a quote unquote off Clemson last year, they still won the ACC. So I, I don't necessarily know that that's their goal. But uh, but I do think that that gives them a little bit higher of a floor than especially than they had two years ago, right? I mean, in 2021, I think you really felt the absence of that running game. By by 2023, like you said, with the combination of Moffa and, and Shipley, I think that that's a good lineup. A little bit of concern, like you said, with the offensive line. They're still kind of trying to work some things out there. They're also defending a Clemson defensive line, which can't be all that fun. Uh, and, you know, defensively, I think that that the uh, the Clemson defense did what you expected them to do. They were disruptive. Uh, the, the, the unit was, was credited with 15 tackles for loss in a spring game, which is pretty crazy. Uh, you know, that's just, that's just what they do at Clemson. Um, but to, to go back to one thing that you mentioned, I love the way that Clemson runs their spring game. Like you said, it's supposed to be a fun event, you know, it's supposed to be, uh, you know, I'm not saying that every head coach needs to get on the mic and, and be Jim Ross or anything like that. But like, I think that it's a lot of fun whenever, uh, whenever a team really leans into the spring game being an entertainment event for the fans. And I think that Clemson does it at a really, really high level. I hope that more programs learn from it. So I think you can see where the offense can progress. They still got to find some receivers. But we can see that, that Garrett Riley, as the new offensive coordinator who came from TSU from TCU, is going to help them take that next step. And then defensively, the guy that I mentioned early on at defensive tackle, Peter Woods, a five star who's from Alabama, and Clemson won him. He's a five star recruit, and he's like all anybody at Clemson is talking about. He blocked an extra point, but he also was just consistently disruptive. And everybody, all the stories, everybody who covers Clemson is just talking about like, this guy is ready for this now. And he's just, he's just a, 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 a guy inside that is going to affect games right away. And when you add that, I thought there were, I thought the Clemson secondary made some good plays. Nate Wiggins, their corner 
played well in the spring game. Andrew Makuba and RJ Mickens, I think, are good safeties there. They just have, I do think they have some playmakers in the back end. Jeremiah Trotter Jr. as a linebacker, you know, they're losing some guys, right? Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy and Trenton Simpson, they're losing some guys to the NFL draft who are really good players. But I don't think we want to forget how good this Clemson defense is. And the offense just got a little goofy for, I think, the last couple of years and kind of maybe just didn't allow Clemson to be the Clemson they were before. If they can find a way, maybe even a different way, maybe that it's just more of a run-heavy offense than they've been. And maybe there's more, you know, just RPO stuff and Garrett Riley get the ball out of the quarterback hands, get get out of Klubnik hands quickly, and then let Klubnik run when things break down, and it doesn't have to be Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. But this defense still might be really good. And when you have a guy like, I, I think, it, you know, a guy like Peter Woods, Clemson is very good, but they're not so good that they won't take a five-star freshman who's ready to play right now. And this might be a guy who's going to be one of the most impactful first-year guys in college football. No doubt. And I'll tell you what, if there is one guy who knows how to manage a quarterback who's maybe a little mistake prone, but can move with his legs and has a good running game uh, and maybe has a really good wide receiver and Bo Collins who didn't play in this game. It's Garrett Riley. He took a team to the national championship game that had essentially all the same limitations that we're talking about with Clemson's offense right now. Uh, and so I think that, look, this was an opportunity for Kate Klubnick and, and that quarterback room to get out and work on some things. I, I do expect that when it is actually time to call games, it, it's going to be not just an easier game for Cade Klubnick, but but a really more complete game plan. Because that's really, I think, where Garrett Riley made his hay last year. So I I think, I don't know. I thought Clemson was going to be better than people expected last year. And like you said, they sort of had a disappointing season as the ACC champ. And they were one goofy loss to South Carolina away from making the playoff. So it, that's one of those things when your standard is like, that's a, a quote, bad season for you. Um, I think this has a chance to work again. I think you can see the pieces. And in the end, for the four teams we decided to talk about today, I would say, I think from the way guys just played in the spring game, I think I might, as quarterback play, I might put Carson Beck first, Quinn Ewers second, and then Cade Klubnick and Kyle McCord sort of tied for third. So Kyle McCord should get better because his receivers will be back. Cade Klubnick should get better because he's going to have more time with Garrett Riley, and we're going to see the full evolution of what this new Clemson offense can be. But I, I think there's some... I think there were some really good things for Clemson in that spring game that if if people are all in on Florida State and the CC and I'm one of them, it, it, Clemson's not going away, Shahan. That was not a team on Saturday with some of the dudes they put out there. That is a team that's going away. No, and and again, I think that this is just sort of the first evolution of what they're going to be. I, I think that, you know, again, you expect that when you get some of these receivers back in line. Like I said, Bo Collins didn't play in the game. Antonio Williams as a freshman was a 600-yard receiver. That's been their big question mark, I think, in a lot of ways. And I expect that Garrett Riley is going to find, first of all, better ways to leverage those receivers than I think the previous staff did. Uh, But also, I think that he's going to find more creative ways to 
involve the rest of the game. I mean, Will Shipley rushed for 1,100 yards last year, right? He is a really, really good player. Um, and, and I expect that Klubnik is going to be a bigger part of this. I think that Moff is going to be a bigger part of this. So uh, I know that they're going to find the best ways to leverage their offense, and their defense is good enough to to probably put their floor at being in the ACC title game in some ways. All right, that'll wrap up this version of uh, our spring football recap. We just we just want to listen. We know a lot of you follow college football very intently. Others of you like your team, but maybe don't know exactly what's up. We want to put everybody in context of each other, right? So, can Clemson compete for the ACC and be a playoff contender? Yes. Can Texas compete for the Big Twelve and be a playoff contender? Yes. Can Georgia and Ohio State be true national title contenders again? Yes, but they both have some things they need to see some improvement in. So we want to do that. We want to add context with other teams on the next pod this week. Come back for Tennessee, for USC, for Penn State, for Florida State. And again, another round of games this coming Saturday. But for now, make sure you are reading Shahan J. Haraja at CBSSports.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the College Football Survivor Show so you do not miss an episode. And for now, for Shahan I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. 